So we ended off last time saying the four things that the Maskilim were hoping to get out of the conference. Number one was that all davening would be done from a Hebrew-German sitter. Number two is that they would use their Tanakh. Number three is that they would use their Mishnayis. And number four was that they would use their Rambam and there would be no Gemara learning whatsoever. Obviously their Svarim were totally messed up and harmful for you to read. So while the ministers were willing to use force to impose these new decrees on the Jewish people, they learned from the failure of the previous conference that any change that we make that's, that's going to look like we're forcing the Yidin to do something, it's going to backfire so strongly. It's just going to make the Yidin even stronger. The only changes with any chance of success would be those changes done in a, like, that we're not attacking you type of way. So to make a show of the fact that, this is, that the decisions made by the, the conference were fair and they weren't made into law without taking everyone's opinion into consideration. So the minister sent these proposals to different Rabbanim for their opinion. Most, of, most Rabbanim, they simply responded that these changes were unacceptable. The Tzemach however, it's not enough to say that they're not good. He wrote a whole detailed response explaining why they were unacceptable, not only from a religious, a from point of view, but even from an educated way of looking at things, from a secular point of view. And the Tzemach Sadek went through all, all these things, and he said about the first proposal, the Tzemach Sadek showed how it's completely insane. Why would you want kids in Russia to daven? What, what benefit could there be from davening from a Hebrew-German sitter? They can't read German. Right? What kind, of, what kind of garbage is that? And if the government's desire is that the Jewish people should learn and speak a language besides for Yiddish, so doesn't it make more sense if you really want to do it to make it into a Hebrew-Russian sitter? What's this business with German? And it showed the true intentions of the people that were in favor of this plan is, is not for the benefit of the Tsar, because if it was for the benefit of the Tsar, they would want everyone to learn Russian. Obviously, the Maskilim had their own agenda, because otherwise, why would, those, why would they choose German? And point by point, the Tzemach Tzedek respectfully and in a very clear way, he didn't just bash it, he went through it explaining why each of these, of the Maskilim's proposals are, are, had major problems with it. The, the ministers, they received the Tzemach Sedek's long reply after the two uh, from Yidin on the, on the uh, conference re resigned, Goldberg and uh, Berkowitz. Now, so the Rebbe's response was given to the remaining delegates for Maskilim to translate into Russian. And after much debate among themselves, they decided, they were debating whether or not to mistranslate the, the letter of the Tzemach Sedek. And at the end, they decided... They're going to translate the Tzemach Sedek's response properly, but to make it look like that he's putting down the government. Um, and this way, when the officials read it, they would be angry at the Tzemach Sedek and dismiss his remarks completely, even though he made his points made good sense. However, the plans of the Maskilim were thwarted by the Tzemach Tzedek himself, that he was concerned that his response would not be translated properly. So what did he do? 
He asked this nobleman who was always helping them out, Galitzin, for his assistance, could you help me translate this? And Galitzin's assistance had been uh, very uh, powerful. It helped a lot in crushing the intentions of the Maskilim in the first conference in 1843. And they became friends, like the Tzemach and this minister Galitzin, like they, they, they were, you know, they helped each other. Well, I don't know how much the, the Tzemach helped him, but, but he had a tremendous respect for the Tzemach and he wanted to help him. So Galitzin arranged for an independent translation, meaning not connected to the Maskilim, and he gave it to the ministers in charge of the commission. Now the Petterberg Vad also made an expert translation that had additional notes, um, which Rabbi Yisrael Chaikin then gave over to the ministers. Now while waiting for the Maskilim's translation, the head of the commission, Count Benkendorf, suddenly, yeah, who knows why, suffered a terrible death. And his assistant, Count Orlov, right, we saw this in the, in the Slavita story, right? Uh, he took over the position and responsibilities. And while he also was a very big reliever in Christianity and, and in his religion, right? And he wanted others to join it. But he was much nicer about it. He basically, he said, yeah, I'm a Christian and I think everyone should be Christian. But I respect everyone else, you know. It's not like I, don't, I hate you and I don't want you. Like the first guy, Benkendorf, was a straight out hated everybody who wasn't hit like him. So in reviewing the documents leading up to the conference, he sensed that this was, it's not like a fight against Yidin. It sounds like the Maskilim have a personal thing against the Tzemach Tzedek, which he called the Rabbi of Lubavitch. Um, it had nothing to do with the, to make the country better and for the glory of the Tsar and all that stuff. So he suspected that the translation, that, that their translation of, of the Rebbe's letter might not be so accurate. So to make sure that the decision they were about to make would be based off facts and, and not the opinions from the Maskilim, he ordered another translation. So we have four translations going on over here. You had the Vad's translation, you had Galitzin's translation, you had the Maskilim's translation, and now Count Erlov made a fourth translation. <coughs> so he has, finally he has in front of him all four translations. And he, what does he see? Besides, obviously, anytime you translate something, there's going to be little tiny differences. But besides for those things, three of the translations showed that the rabbi of Lubavitch gave a very intelligent, very well thought out response. And, and these translations show that the rabbi of Lubavitch remained firm in his positions that he, that he had in the previous conference five years earlier. But he always did it in the most respectful way. He didn't come out saying, you guys are going to suffer for what you're doing to the Yidin. He never was mean. He always was respectful in his writing. And he never once said anything disrespectful about the government or the officials, even while at the same time oh, disagreeing with them 100%. The only translation that made the rabbi of Lubavitch, Tzemach right? looked like a Balgaivadik guy putting down the government was the one made by the Maskilim. So Count Erlov, he noticed this. So Count Erlov noticed that all these things were also noticeable in all the, the documents leading up to the conference. So it was made very clear that the Yidin 
were not um, the, the, um, that the Yidin were not to suspect the conference's true intention that the government was trying to get them away from, from their religion. And this was the approach, the Maskilim said, that led to the government's success in making the guidelines on Jewish clothing. So, so the commission, this, uh, the conference, whatever, now it's going to be called the commission because basically the conference is, it's not really continuing, but, you know, they lost two people. So it was to give the appearance that, that th these delegations, these six people, they represented the Yidin of Russia. However, Count Arlov was now receiving a lot of reports from governors throughout all of Russia that the Yidin were furious at the makeup of the delegates. And, and they were all writing the same thing. How is it that 26 of the delegates that were voted in were from and six weren't from and you chose four from the Maskilim? Like, obviously, that's, the whole thing's a, a joke. And these local governors... Meaning not the people sitting on the commission and, and the ministers in, in, uh, in, in uh, um, Petersburg. Talking about wherever they were, whichever area. These local governors added that, that it's impossible anyways to enforce any of these new regulations because the Yidin are not going to go for it and it's just going to be impossible. What's the point? And it's going to be a huge embarrassment to the Tsar. Meaning, imagine the Tsar makes a law and nobody keeps to it. Better don't make the law, right? Um, so... Count Arlov realized that the other ministers on the commission, they didn't do their homework properly. They relied completely on the agenda of the Maskilim and uh, who convinced them that the majority of the Yidin really do support them, which obviously they don't. However, now that he read their, their translation, he realized that these Maskilim are, they're, they're, they gotta go. And he suspected that they didn't care anything about the Tsar. They were just against from Yidin, so, and, and, and this, um, this was an unforgivable insult to the Tsar, in Count Erlov's opinion. Like, it's a chutzpah. How dare they use us to get at the Yidin? We're supposed to use them! Right, that's the way he looked at it. So, calling the other ministers to a meeting, he yelled at all of them, the ministers, the Gaisha ministers, for trusting the Maskilim. And Uvarov, who was the Minister of Culture, and uh, his colleague, the Minister of Interior, they were both silenced. How could they explain that who was the one who set up this whole thing? Who, who was in charge of the third section before Count Erlov? Benkendorf. They're going to tell him, uh, I'm sorry to tell you this, but Benkendorf was the one who arranged this whole thing. They, they can't say that to Erlov's face. Erlov didn't know about this, right? Um, one thing is certain, they never suspected that the whole anger of the Yidin throughout Russia was made, who, who got this, all this anger to, to go out? By a few Yidin, the Petersburg Vad. If not for them, nothing would have happened. Nobody would have known about half these things. Now, at this point, Count Arlov calls in the remaining four delegates, right, the, the, the four Maskilim, and they don't know what's going on. They, they think, oh, we're so happy and, you know, we're going to get everything passed. And they said, this is our golden opportunity. Now we're going to give our big plan. What's the big plan? Number one, we're going to prohibit the printing and even bringing into the country of any books or pamphlets on Kabbalah or Hasidus. Number two, we're going to get rid of the entire cheder system. Not that we have a, 
cheder and a masculine school. There is no more cheder. You want to send your kid to school? There's only one, the masculine school. And they can only use our published books. And the next thing is to force the Yidin to cover the expenses of the new school system by making a tax on Shabbos candles. Now, so they come in, they're ready, they're thinking, this is it, we got it good. And to their utter shock, Count Erlov starts yelling at them that, they're, they're being, that they were dishonest and they're using tricks. And he, and he said, you're harming the entire reputation of the Russian government. And he yells at them, not only did you mistranslate the rabbi of Lubavitch's reply, you also misled the government in order to make you the majority of the conference. And this made all the Frumyidin in Russia angry at the Tsar. So this is your fault that they're angry at the Tsar. Because you were dishonest. So he says, therefore, in the name of the Tsar, I announce that this conference is being terminated and consider it as if it never took place. And all the resolutions that were passed until now are all gone, they're bottle, mavutal. And gentlemen, you are dismissed now. Get out of here. Right? Now, <laughs> you can imagine you're coming into the office thinking, we got it good. And you're leaving, realizing you have nothing. Um, now, just like this, this was similar to what happened in the conference of of 1843, that, that everything looked whatever until the end, and then at the end, you know, they go crashing down. And their leader, Max Lilenthal, was disappointed with the outcome, and he was scared that he forever lost favor in the eyes of the ministers. And he, he fled Russia, and he went to America. America, yes. And he wrote a sitter. He made a, it's called, uh, what did he call it? Nusach America. Something like that. And Minhag America, with the Hagim of Jews in America, as if like, there's such a thing, right? Now, so, so at this point in history, the powerful influence of the Maskilim on the nobles of Russia, on the ministers, was, was greatly diminished, was made lower. And although they attempted, in the, again and again, you know, try to get down the religious observance, they, it was generally unsuccessful. But... Um, so their the previous successes in convincing the government to make all these gazeras of, of the clothing and stuff like that to, to try to do their, their svarim. Um, it, it continued to, to mess up a lot of things for, for many years to come because basically it took away the influence of the community leaders and the rabbanim and created like this, this, this uh, gap among the Jewish people But it, and at the same time, it exposed them. It exposed many Yidin to secular ideas of thinking, assimilation. And, and, and that's it for the conference of 1848.